0: If you would, please let's stand together and read aloud together Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death,
1: powerful to read that together. Yahweh, the I am is my shepherd. I shall not want. The opening line of Psalm 23 is, is a perfect ending to the series we're doing called Fear Not because it's a perfect summary of these first two anchoring truths that are designed to take us from fear to faith. The I am, the Yahweh, Yahweh is the one who made our galaxy, which is one of a cluster of 19 galaxies. And our galaxy is a host to more than 100 billion stars. Isaiah 40 says of the great I Am, listen to this, he leads out each star, each of the over 100 billion stars, he leads them each out by name. That's a a lot of names. And yet this, this awesome I am takes on the job that embodies complete servanthood. Which is looking after us. Looking after you and I. Of all the farming jobs to take on, any would be preferable to a shepherd. Planting, Not so bad, right? You take some seeds, you scatter them, you let the sun and the rain do its uh, photosynthetic work, right? Things grow. It's wonderful. Goats grazed in grass and mostly stayed in one place, easy to identify, not hard to lose. Chickens, well actually chickens hit kind of close to home, so I won't mention chickens because we don't have necessarily a special love for them here. But sheep were the prima donnas of the animal kingdom, right? They were the prima donnas in that they were simple yet stubborn, so prone to wander, to get themselves in all kinds of messes without constant guidance, requiring every moment of personal attention. I know we like to think of them, these cute creatures designed for, you know, pillow shams and our kids' comforters, but really representative of our spiritual life. And to get a hold of that, I was thinking probably a lot more like uh, Paris Hilton and Kim Kardashian all right, than anything else. Prima Donnas, simple, yet require a lot of maintenance. If They require so much attention. You, you've probably heard the story. You may have heard the story of the prophet Samuel going uh, to Jesse's family to hear from God about selecting the next king of Israel. And he brings forth seven sons, and Samuel goes through each and finally asks, Yeah, where are there any more sons? Now, oh, where was David? And Jesse says, There remains the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And of course he was, because a shepherd was a full time job. He was away because it was assumed you didn't even show up necessarily to family functions because you're a shepherd. It's really who you are. The I am becomes to David, a shepherd, a full-time doctor, bodyguard, personal assistant rolled into one. Because that's what a shepherd did. And he doesn't do this just in theory, as expressed in poetry, like Psalm thirty or Psalm twenty-three. He becomes a man, and to heal those in his midst, to protect those he was around, to serve those whom he cared for and says of himself, I am the good shepherd. And this good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And in knowing this, we, 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 we recognize in Jesus Christ that God doesn't necessarily remove all the potential dangers that cause us fear, but in Jesus we can be assured that he's always with us. And that is a good that can never be taken away. We're also told that because of this, we shall not want. I and mean, we don't lack for anything. It's a beautiful line here because it has double meaning. We don't lack for anything, and yet we also don't need to yearn for more because we don't lack anything. I don't need more or less. I don't need more of what I deem good, nor do I need less of what I think bad circumstances That means my shepherd's in charge and everything is gone according to plan. Even our bad things turn out for good. We learned that truth last week. And this morning represents our our third anchoring truth designed to take us from fear, worry, anxiety, to faith, to trust. And that is the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. We get the opportunity this morning to walk through What one of my favorite preachers, Charles Spurgeon, called the pearl of the Psalms. It's beloved, it's treasured, it's cherished, it's deep. Psalm 23 is used in such movies as V for Vendetta, True Grit, The Titanic, and even I found out The Terminator, uh, Psalm 23, which is humorous. I don't remember Schwarzenegger saying, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I don't need anything. I don't know. I'm sure if I went back and looked. <laughs> Maybe I missed that one. It's used by various artists. I mean, diverse artists, as diverse as Bobby McFerrin and Megadeth, Pink Floyd, and Marilyn Manson. Yeah, I agree. Must be the death part. And of course, who can forget Coolio? Uh, and I got to confess, all week when I, when I looked at. Uh, Verse 4 here of Psalm 23 in particular. I couldn't help. It was almost like a knee-jerk response. 1996 just came out of me. As I said, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left. I've been lasting and blasting so long. Even my mama thinks that my mind just I, I just, I couldn't help it. There it was. Predates or outdates some of you, but... So many ways this psalm is loved and cherished and used and known. But for... Most of us have been used primarily to bring comfort, to bring comfort in times of mourning and death. It's a shame because Psalm 23 is actually far more about life. Psalm 23 is meant to demonstrate God's strong and loving oversight throughout all the seasons of our life, all the seasons of our life with him. We see in Psalm 23, don't we here? I think we're going to get to see this morning, the rhythm of life between a sheep and shepherd. The early springs in the lowlands, taking the sheep up through the valley to the higher plateau to graze in the summers. That's the rhythm of a sheep's life and a shepherd who leads them. And the rhythm of our life as well between us and God. The beginning. The valley of darkness. And finally, the higher ground. It's even very typical and emblematic of a day for us. That we're meant to feed on God in the mornings. Still waters for the turbulence of our day. For the dangers that lurk during the day. And finally celebrate Him and what He's done in the evenings, right? And so we see this rhythm of life with God here in Psalm 23. So I want to ask, as we are going to walk through each season in life with God that you identify which season of life you currently find yourself with God? And what we'll do is I want to touch on the different fears we experience in each of these seasons and encourage that no matter where you are, no matter where you are in your journey with Jesus, the best is always yet to come. So first, season one is the beginning. And we see here this in verses two and three. He makes me lie down in green pastures. A relationship with God actually begins with rest. Begins with rest. For a uh, sheep to find rest, it takes an extraordinary arrangement of circumstances for them to actually lie down in green pastures and sleep. Now, I, I, I took a look this week at a little book, a great little book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, written by a guy named Philip Keller. And he actually was a shepherd. And uh, he, he wrote this wonderful little book, so I'll be referring to it throughout. And he says that for a sheep to lie down to rest has to be free of fear. Because of the social behavior within a flock has to be f- free From social friction within the flock. He tries to describe how that works. It's confusing to me, but social friction has to be free of that, free from flies and from parasites and all kinds of nuisances. Finally, he has to be free from anything less than a full stomach. You can see the prima donna coming through here, right? In a sheep. God is your shepherd, He has arranged exactly the circumstances you'd require that you need to find rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's true. This is where I'm finally going to find the rest I've been searching through for my whole life through other means. Through my job, my career, through, through good deeds, through a family, through a marriage, through another person. It's also a time in this season, this first season in the beginning of, of feeding. A feeding. Of growth. Right, we read this as we move on here. He leads me beside still waters to drink. Right? He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. It's also a season of rejoicing in your restoration. He restores you. This is interesting because literally if you look in the Hebrew, to restore someone was to turn them back. Or to turn you back. And that's telling because a sheep that's rolled over is called a cast sheep. It's a larger sheep, usually due to heavy fleece. It's just let its you know, hair grow too long or it's pregnant. All right? And it wants just to lie down in a hollow, to relax. But if it stretches out and lies on its side, usually at that point its center of gravity starts to shift to the point where it will actually roll completely over on its back on its hind legs, and it will start kicking, trying to get itself back over. And the more it kicks, the worse position it gets itself into. The more helpless it becomes. It needs to be turned right side up. But it can't do anything about it themselves. The Bible uses such words about us. Dead. Blind. Lost. The most vivid words we can think of of being completely helpless, on our backs, frantically searching to find rest for ourselves. And yet the more we look, the more we long. The more we look, the less we find it, the more worried, the more anxious we get, right? When things don't work to satisfy the soul and give us rest, we're completely helpless. And there's a shepherd who finds us and rescues us one of the great things about being in this season, the beginning of your Christian life, is you're totally in touch with your helplessness. You couldn't be more thrilled that a shepherd find you, found you, and you when you were helpless and still are. The, the only thing you fear during this season of your life is a true and right fear of God. The way the fear of God was meant to be. And the way it's talked about in Scripture. The I am has the power to give life and withhold it, and you've experienced that. He should withhold it because you know you're ill-deserving. You know you've gotten yourself into this circumstance. But he's chosen to restore you, and you find this enthralling. It consumes your mind. You want to know more. You want to drink further from the still waters of this good news. You don't care that God makes you and leads you. And rescues you. And it's all up to him. That doesn't bother your pride. You know you need this. Make me and lead on, God, the paths of righteousness. Show me how I can follow you now. There's a couple on my mind, it's been on my mind all week, who uh, joined up with our community group during the Christianity Explored course and follow up discipleship that we did. Um, And they came at the beginning of their life with God and eager to grow. They love to ask questions, not for the sake of mere curiosity so much as to know these paths of righteousness. Okay, God, how can I now please you? So you see them every week come alive when we open this. You get in the Bible and you see them ask questions and want to know more. And I find it electric to be around them. It's awesome. Some of you are in this season. And I'm so excited that we get to be around you. I want to encourage you, even still, even for you, the best is yet to come. It's going to get still better even as you climb up into the valley. And that's the second season, by the way. Valley darkness. As the spring season passed, so did the plentiful grass in the lower regions, making necessary high plateaus where the grazing grasses, sometimes knee-high, could be feasted on. And could nourish the sheep. So you had, to get there, though, you had to pass through the valley, and you know this. Whenever you go up to a mountain, you have to actually usually drive up first to the valley. Treacherous cliffs were present with narrow paths, and the threat of death was always there. With just one misstep by the sheep, off the cliff. Lurking in the shadows of the various crags on that path were animals that threatened. Sometimes even bandits come out and steal and take and rob. Sheep are most vulnerable and exposed at this point, ever reliant on the voice of the shepherd as they pass through more shadowy territory. Things were more hazy for the sheep so they, they could hear the voice of the shepherd. That might remind you of John chapter 10. So fear number one that occurs when we're in these shadows, I think, is that I first of all, put myself here. I did this to myself, and I don't know how to get out. I've done something to displease God, or I'm even still doing something to displease God, and here I am, around fear and danger and lack of blessing in my life. I don't sense God. That is perhaps the case, but not necessarily so. Usually, it's actually evidence that you are just graduating. One of the great uh, theologians uh, I love to read, J.I. Packer, whose wonderful book is in the back, Knowing God. He wrote a book just about getting to know God. and It's wonderful. And he has this great chapter in the back. And I want to quote from that chapter just here at length because he says this so well about the valley darkness time. He says, the truth is, God, like a gentle, like a shepherd, Is gentle with very young Christians. Often the start of their Christian career is marked by great emotional joy, striking providences, remarkable answers to prayer, and immediately immediate fruitfulness in their first acts of witness. Thus God encourages them and establishes them, but as they grow stronger, he exercises them in a tougher school. I love that phrase, a tougher school. He exposes them to strong attacks from the world, the flesh, and the devil, so that their powers of resistance might grow stronger. He wants us to grow in Christ, not stay babes in Christ. And it's so true, right? If you've ever had kids, especially those of you maybe who might be empty nesters, you're here with us this morning. You've seen your kids grow up. What's one of the worst fears you have? Your kids will grow up but never really grow up. Right? That they'll stay babes, that they'll stay dependent. Now, partly that might be because you don't want them living in your, your basement at age 20, 22, 24, 26, and still on your life insurance. I get that as well. But partially it's because you see their lives and you think, oh my goodness, they haven't grown up. That's a terrible thing. Why would you want to stay there? God does not want you to stay there, He wants you to grow. The Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised then, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's not strange you go through the valley. It's God's way of growing you. Another fear we have is, of course, will I ever get out of this valley? (sighs) Will I ever get out of this valley? Let me just say here that one of the temptations is your getting out of the valley means your life has to look like that Christian on your row or in your community group that just has tremendous influence or seems incredibly blessed in their marriage or by family, in their career, there's fruitfulness, right? They seem to have this joy. And you think, that's what I want to get to. And I would tell you, friends, your hope is way too low. Your sights are way too low. The hope He gives us. A glorified body. To be rid of sickness and sin. Pleasure forevermore without fear. and Without idolatry. A front row seat to one day encounter the King of Kings. That's the future hope. And the great equalizer that heaven is. In fact, Hebrews 6.19 says that this hope of of this, this being before the King of Kings... In the fullness of His presence is a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. But I want to tell you, I think, and I did not expect to say this when I started looking at Psalm 23, but this is where the passage of the Holy Spirit led me. I think the scariest season of all is the high ground, the plateau. Because when you get up to that plateau, it would seem as if you've arrived. I've arrived. I've finally made it. See, my my, my heart as a pastor doesn't doesn't worry as much for those facing adversity. In fact, a friend of mine recently over lunch told me he actually prays for adversity. Which might sound strange, but, but he's right. I'll tell you why. Because you draw closer to God through the truth that the best is yet to come. And the Holy Spirit creates in you a longing for that day when every tear will be wiped away. Right? That's when you're compelled to draw near to the truth and the sure anchor of the hope that we have, to be in the fullness of Jesus. So as I see someone go through adversity, I don't fear as much for them. I don't mean to sound callous. I, I fear for the person who feels like and looks like they've arrived. That brings us to season three, the higher ground. as We see in verse five. The shepherd leads the sheep out of the valley and into this glorious spread. Plateaus or mesas, often called tablelands. Some of you might be familiar with a little place called uh, Table Mountain near Cape Town. Anyone, know, anyone been there before? I've heard it's glorious, seen some pictures, I've heard many great adventures there. That's the idea. It's actually the, 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 the kind of perfect thought and picture we can get. It's, it's, it's high up but flat. And helps us understand then why the psalmist David here says, you prepare a table before me. Tables are higher up, but flat in safety. So sheep could eat in relative comfort. So sheep have arrived, right? They've gotten to this place in their lives with a no worries lifestyle, right? Now I just get to eat grass the rest of my days. It would seem that way if David didn't drop for us a little clue here in verse 5. That this table is prepared. Yes, cup overflowing, joy abounding, food all around in the spread, but it's in the presence of my enemies. Shepherd Philip Ke- uh, Keller notes at the table lands, often what happens is crafty predators Wolves, coyotes, cougars are up on the rim rock watching every movement the sheep make, looking down, hoping that they will wander from the shepherd. As good as the higher ground is and as grateful as David is for the goodness and mercy that have followed him all the days of his life, it's not yet a no worries place. Danger lurks there, especially when we say to ourselves, I've arrived and we wander on our own. As you'll notice at the end of this psalm, it's interesting, but it helps us understand why at the end of the psalm, David breaks completely from the sheep-shepherd metaphor. It's sheep-shepherd, sheep-shepherd, sheep-shepherd until we get to the end of verse 6 in the last line. For David, as good as life was, grazing sheep, being a grazing sheep, being a cup runneth over king, there was still something better. Even for the greatest king in all of Israel, who experienced every blessing you can think of, there was still something better. In the last line, David imagines something not possible on this earth. You see, while other people experience honor and blessing and victory, before and since, no one other than Levites got to live in God's temple, where he made the fullness of his presence known. It was something reserved only for a certain group of people. And even then, the presence of God was shrouded. David looks forward to a time when there's no worry of danger, No fear that can keep him from pure and forever access to God's presence. That is the best that is yet to come. Dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. But, dwelling in the house of the Lord forever may sound like a rather dull place to spend forever. And this is the cold reality. I know we sing about it, we talk about it, but... I wonder how many of us know we ought to think on, to long for, to be with Jesus forever in heaven. But in your heart of hearts, eternity freaks you out a little bit. Forever. You've grown accustomed to this world. You've grown accustomed to the challenges, but also to the growth, to meeting those challenges, to the delights of this world, to the the people with the flesh, to the eye candy. That surrounds us in media and otherwise. And it would seem like just singing a song in front of God forever might sound dull. When Scripture calls you an alien or sojourner, you kind of feel like a citizen here and a homebody. And when the Bible calls friendship with the world, hatred towards God, you say, Oh, that's a bit harsh. Kind of like this world. Kind of like my life. You doubt The best is yet to come. So how do you move away from this? How do you hold loosely to the things of this world, hoping in the best that's yet to come? How do you stay close to the shepherd when your cup is runneth over with blessing here? How do you increase your desire for heaven? That's what I'm asking. I'm not sure that I know. It might be discouraging, right? In the sermon, the pastor says he doesn't know. But I still feel like I often ask this world to do what it was never intended to do. I still do this. I ask this world to do what is never intended to do, namely to satisfy my soul. So, I mean, if I'm honest with you guys, I look to Katie, my wife, a lot of times for for complete and self-sacrificial love. I look to our family to help me feel like I really accomplished something. I've really done something noble with my life. I look, to you, I look to you guys, the church, to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I look to trinkets and toys around me to fill my heart with mirth and with laughter that will satisfy me. How many of you guys, you truly look to your promotion to do what is never intended to do, make you feel good about yourself? You look to that vacation to South America, so you feel like, yes, this is what I'm supposed to live for, and yet it disappoints. C.S. Lewis said this so well in his amazing sermons, famous sermon, The Weight of Glory. He said, these things are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only a scent of a flower we have not yet found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country We have not yet visited. Do you feel that? They're meant to be hints of heaven. So he goes on to say, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. King David, we have to think about, a real person wrote this psalm. It wasn't just put on placards and Heard in music, and we've heard it so many times that David knew this by way of experience. God had brought him to higher ground, out of dark valleys and into blessing. But unfortunately, he started to look to the blessing more than he did to the blesser. Then one day on his rooftop, enjoying the grass, enjoying the beauty around him, he looked to the beauty of this world to do what was never intended to do. And so a great danger overtook him on that rooftop. God would restore him. He then looked to his position as king to give him the safety and security from the nuisances of this world. Right? I, I don't have to be near this, this stuff anymore. So he ignored and he retreated from engaging the hearts of his children as they sinned against one another. He said, you know what? I'm king. I'm just going to back off with this run its course. And it ran its course. Murder worse (laughs) to the point where he even had a son of his plot for years to take over the throne and he did. He lost his throne. He looked to his job as commander in chief getting the exact count of his army to make himself feel worthwhile, great compared to other kings. Look what I've done here. Look how many soldiers I have. To make him feel like he's truly successful. Cost in the lives of 70,000 people. God restored him again. God, each time, said, okay, let's go back to the beginning. I'm going to arrange these circumstances so you're going to find rest in me. You're going to be lying flat on your back and know that you're in need again of a rescuer. Psalm 51, create me a clean heart, O God. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. That was because David fell in love with the blessings of this world, not the blesser. Maybe you relate. You keep looking to the world, and then you end up lying flat on your back, helpless, feet akimbo, just trying to get yourself back up, and you look to God finally. And on the one hand, you praise God who's patiently shepherded you through all this and then puts you back on higher ground with blessing. But at the same time, you'll be grateful when this is all done. <laughs> Fear, the danger, the sin. That's Psalm 23. David has cycled through enough of this to finally get it. All this life blessing points to the one who gives life and hints, it all hints at a better life to come with him. So I'm still learning this myself, but I think if we look to the rhythm of this psalm, we start to get our roadmap. We start to get our roadmap of how to love and long for wanting to be with Jesus more. Think about it. Why did David write this psalm? I was to ask you that question. You and I were sitting over coffee. Why did David write this psalm? You might say, oh, well, you know, God and his sovereignty wanted us to one day read this, and all the you know, nations would use it to draw near to God. And No, I don't mean that. Why did David the man take some parchment and a quill and write it down? David wrote down a prayer so he could remember it. So he could pray it again one day. To remind himself that all this life blessings points to the one who gives life. To no longer be deceived that the gifts are what I need to live for. What I need to take pleasure in. But look to the giver. He's the one who gives. He's the one who anoints. He's the one who sets this all before me. And yet I know one day it'll be even better than this. So to enjoy higher ground without worshiping the blessings and rather allow them to create in us a longing for heaven, we would do well, I think, to relate to God during the rhythm of our day with the rhythm of David's prayer. That's where we're going to kind of land this morning, to relate to God throughout the rhythm of our day with the rhythm of David's prayer. Here's how. Number one, preach the gospel to yourself every morning. Preach the gospel to yourself every morning. Go over the circumstances, even the bad things that God worked together to get you to the point where you finally understand, i can have rest in the green pastures of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can finally find it here. Remind yourself of how badly you were and still are in need of being restored, being turned back over. Help from being helpless and on your back. Recount the specific sin from the previous day that needs to be confessed. And take heart that you have a shepherd who laid down his life so that sheep might have theirs eternally. Reminding yourself ultimately that he is with you. Every morning. Tell yourself, here's the second thing, tell yourself gospel truth during the day you go through the valleys of your day, the dangers and temptations that lurk there. You know, it's interesting, every shepherd learned how to wield a rod and staff. The staff, he would use to guide his sheep back onto the path, and actually sometimes, almost like an extension of his hand, just to kind of tell them he loved them, like holding their hand, or hoof. I love you, buddy. You know, and he'd lead them along. But what's... what's pretty cool is he would use this rod. He would spend hours actually practicing with his rod early in his shepherding career, learning how to wield it with speed and throw it with accuracy. And If that sounds awesome, that's because it is. You just see that. (laughs) Taking out enemies here and there. Wolves, be gone. Bam, just got you with a rod. You know, it's awesome. They would learn this. A weapon against any threat. God has given us a weapon. One offensive weapon he clearly describes as the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. You're going to have to fight off potential threats with something. You might try to th- fight it off with just isolating yourself, getting away from danger. Maybe it's through sarcasm, right? Fighting back, strong-arming a person, escaping to the pub. Maybe you do your best to schedule around danger, or maybe you just tell yourself, I'm better than they are. I'm just going to be a better, bigger person. So create this judgmental kind of attitude or you can fight off threats with the promises of God. There's no easy solution for that other than memorizing and committing to memory God's Word, hiding it in your heart so you can fight with it. You can fight off potential. You learn to wield it. I'll give you just a few of the ones that, that have been helpful to me to fight off danger. James 4.6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. In moments where it's tempting to respond back with, but I am, but I did, God opposes the proud. gives grace to the humble. Just shut up, Brian. <laughs> John 15, 7. It's the encouragement to pray boldly that when you remain in, he, in him, you can ask things he wants to give to you in moments of danger. Colossians 3, 17. I'll repeat these again. That whatever I do, I do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him, making sure in every action I do that. I, I stay away from temptation by doing it all for Jesus. Can I really thank him for this? Can I do it for him? Does that make sense? So, so you arm yourself with scriptures like James 4, 6, John 15, 7, Colossians 3:17,
0: and you fight with them.
1: Thirdly, you celebrate the gospel benefits every evening. See this morning, day, and evening. Celebrate the gospel benefits every evening. You know, from higher ground. We're supposed to look back over the lower plains and the valley beneath us where we've come. Where God has brought us. And that should cause thanksgiving during dinner. Should should cause us to smile and tell one another, God is good. man. God is good. Without feeling embarrassed or holier than thou. Laugh because of the resurrection of Jesus. Because of the resurrection, you're never going to die. Laugh. Ha <laughs> ha. Can't believe that happened to me. I'm an idiot. Going to be with Jesus. Awesome. Look at a few old pictures and praise God for his goodness and his mercy that's led you to this point. Thank him in bed for your overflowing cup. As as you try to relate to him this week, do so because he's your good shepherd. As you relate to your good shepherd, you desire to know him more, love him more, ultimately to be with him for eternity. So, no matter where you are in your journey with Jesus, you can truly say in your heart of hearts the best is still yet to come.